The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out that you are not allowed to criticize. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and today I'm delighted to welcome back my dear friend Dr. Peter Hammond, so let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? I'm with you, yes, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter, and folks, as I say, with our shows together now, um, I'm going to put these up as soon as they're typed up and done, so... Uh, it is Tuesday, November the 28th, 2023. It is 9.57am here in the UK, which makes it three minutes to midday over in South Africa, where Peter is. I want to apologise for not doing a show last week. That was wholly my fault. Peter was ready. He was online. Unfortunately, I turned my computer off about half an hour before doing the show and it was downloading an update. Uh, I've never known, generally, if I turn my computer off at night and it downloads an update, I'd step outside for five minutes, have a drink of water, come back in and it's all done. Very rarely has it still been there. So I thought, well, sometimes I've gone to bed, but uh, it turns out some of these updates can take three or four hours. And that's what I got caught up in last week, which was why there was no show. So that being said, uh, we've got a couple of topics today. The show is title is The Real Story of the Power of Thanksgiving and Frontline Fellowship Under Attack. So Peter, if you would start us off please with part one and then we can move on to part two. Yes, I should start with the frontline being under attack because that's the problem and we always want to end with a solution which is the real story of the power of Thanksgiving. So our mission, well, we've been going for over 40 years, and last year we celebrated 40 years of Frontline Fellowship crossing borders. I've had so many opportunities of ministry, and I've traveled in 42 countries, ministered in 38 countries, and that's involved being involved in eight wars and three revolutions, helping persecute churches, smuggling in Bibles into restricted access areas like the Muslim Middle East, and being involved in some of the campaigns for independence, such as South Sudan, breaking away from Islamic Sudan and forming a new independent country back in 2011. Uh, so there's a lot that we've got to be thankful for. And just last Friday, we had a Thanksgiving service um, uh, and meal at our mission in the Upper Room, and there was a lot of testimonies, which was absolutely tremendous. One of the people who turned up for our Thanksgiving supper on Friday was a soldier I haven't seen for 42 years, Ivan Basson. He had been in the same unit as I was, six South African infantry, and had joined our Bible study and prayer fellowship. And I didn't know his full story till Friday. He testified how uh, he had come to army with a hostile, negative attitude, very much from an atheistic, anti-Christian perspective. But he had been uh, shocked by the testimony of two fine Christians who were in his company, and he was a, a section leader, so he uh, had authority over these characters. And Joe and Alex van Altenwurst, two German twins, outstanding chaps. They were new Christians that actually only come to the Lord three weeks before uh, the military call-up, and they were the first two recruits into my Bible study and prayer fellowship. Well, um, they were such consistent Christian testimonies, singing even while being given punishment duties by him and being treated unfairly by him. And when he came in one point and told them to stop singing, they said, we will obey your instructions, but you cannot uh, take away our joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength, and we must do everything to the glory of God, and we cannot stop that. So they continued to sing to the praise of God, even while doing punishment PT, and um, this uh, Ivan was 
so shaken by them that he gave his life to the Lord, was transformed and testified of the revival that struck our infantry unit, 6 South African Infantry, back with the Bible Send Prayer Fellowship that kept multiplying all over the border wherever we went. And more and more Bible studies grew out of it. So it was wonderful to get a testimony like that back from someone. Well, that was just on um, on Friday night. Well, Saturday, I started to get all kinds of bizarre communications from our IT man saying we're under attack, we're being hacked, uh, there's hostile attempts to um, get into the computer system and they're targeting my laptop in particular and trying to get through our server system. We've got a, a server room that's got a, a basic backup of everything that we do. So if I'm out and my computer gets broken, stolen, destroyed or whatever, I can recover all the information which has already been done before through our our backup system. So we've got a complete uh, mirror of, of our computers on our system. And apparently the hackers were trying to get into our system to particularly infect my records, which can actually come back onto my laptop through our service system because we've got this, this Synology program. So at any rate, um, he then said he's been threatened with his life. He's been blackmailed. And uh, these people have... Um, and he said he's scared for his life and he's too afraid to come back in. Well, we haven't seen our IT webmaster since fr since Friday. Um, and so the last I heard from him was these communications on Saturday about the threats. Well, since then, we've seen several of our um, crowdfunding gifts and go programs on our um, crowdfunding platforms have been discontinued or what they call unpublished. And... Uh, We've seen a whole lot of problems between some of our PayPal, PayFast um, ways that people can support our ministries being um, either discontinued or there's a problem getting the funds that are there to our bank. We've had lots of problems with our banks. We had um, our frontline North America board suddenly turn against us, block funds, sabotage our support bases and close down. Um, we've had several desertions, including a secretary just um, on our same person who's testifying on Friday, how the Lord led her here and what a wonderful um, privilege it was in the ministry left on Monday and uh, without doing all the things that need to be done, including handovers. So we've suddenly got it. I tell you what, it struck me as we've been attacked on so many levels and we're talking about malicious attacks. Um, our sermon audio, which was one of our most productive online platforms, was uh, closed down maliciously some weeks ago. We've since restored it. It has 1,100 of my sermons, Bible studies, and lectures, on, including on every book in the Bible, in the Bible survey, over 280,000 downloads recorded, and we get very good responses from it. And so for somebody to have just maliciously closed down the sermon audio, we got it restored, but there's so many attacks. And what I start to think is, this is like SAE, Special Operations Executive of Winston Churchill's School of Ungentlemanly Warfare, uh, when the Second World War, they couldn't confront the German army directly, so they, they sent in terrorists to work behind the scenes, doing everything they could to blow up lines, whether it's telephone lines or blow up bridges, derail trains, anything, assassinations, whatever could be done, even for dirty tactics, but just the idea that arson, um, assassinations, whatever's got to be done. And SAE used terrorism to basically undermine the enemy, even if it was for no good use and hurt the people in the area more than it actually advanced the cause. But the whole goal was set Europe ablaze. Well, we're getting the impression, and there's a general consensus amongst our mission, that we're under attack from every single direction we could possibly be under attack from. And, uh, you know, we've got problems with it, government, banks, um, the uh, big tech, the whole lot, and uh, funding uh, every way that we could be, we're being attacked and there's malice and slander and backstabbing and uh, rumor mongering, gossip industry, whatever can be done to undermine us. Even churches that have been friends and supporters contacted by strangers to uh, give them dirt, to make them hesitate to invite us or to participate in outreaches or cooperate in any way. And so We've been doing things like that for years, but it's just intensified in recent months. And now since our Thanksgiving on Friday, uh, it's intensified even worse. So you can imagine you suddenly have your 
your main IT webmaster disappear with the main mission computer, the most expensive movable asset we have, and with it, all the different controls and codes of so much. So we've been disconnecting computers, um, closing down different sections of our server room, and fortunately, we've got very good firewalls, and we had a very advanced person who actually had a Cambridge University degree in computer security set up our server room. So we've endured some very hostile, malicious hacking attempts in recent weeks and months, um, and uh, the system's held. So it's, it's obviously a good system that we have. But nevertheless, you suddenly have your IT webmaster either abducted or uh, in some way threatened and controlled, So that, and our computer missing. You can imagine this represents a lot of sabotage and undermining of the work. And uh, at the same time, several of our media platforms on Facebook have been shadow banned. Literature for African Frontline Fellowship, we've been restricted, threatened with being permanently deleted because of dangerous posts. And, you know, you can go on and see what dangerous posts we put on Frontline Fellowship and Literature for Africa and my personal Facebook page too, threatened. And uh, apparently I've been linking to dangerous sites. Well, most of the sites I link to are Henry Morton Stanley School of Christian Journalism website and Frontline Fellowship website. And Literature of Africa does nothing particularly dangerous that I can see unless you consider Bible distribution and evangelism and gospel presentations to be dangerous, which I suppose the New World Order would think. But we've got so much that's basic to any mission, funds and communications and personnel being stripped away from us or taken, and then treachery from people that we trusted as well. So we are under attack. We do need prayer. We do need solidarity and support. And I think of what my wife, Laura, would say. There's fair weather paddlers and there's all weather paddlers. And in uh, paddling, she is in dragon boating uh, with other cancer survivors. And she would despise the fair weather paddlers, the ones that only turn up when it was a bright, sunny day and everything was warm and pleasant and the sea was calm and so on. But the real paddlers, the all weather paddlers, turned up even if it was cold and rainy and wet and stormy and the water choppy. Those were the real paddlers. And of course, you get fair weather friends and you get all weather friends. And fair weather friends aren't really friends at all. The ones who will be with you at all times, the ones who will be with you in the bad times, those are the real friends. And uh, just as she said, all weather paddlers and fair weather paddlers, well, I pray that none of us will be fair weather Christians or just fair weather conservatives or fair weather activists uh, in whatever issues we are called to. So uh, that's just some of our attacks. I don't know if you've got any questions about that before I go on to more the solution of uh, the real power of Thanksgiving. Well, thank you, Peter. I've been aware of this. This It's intensified in recent months, but it has been going on for a number of years. Uh, I've not said anything because uh, it's... Uh, Peter's always had this platform if he chooses to do so. Um, obviously, it's getting to the stage now where Peter's bringing this information out, but this is nothing new, but it is intensifying because, of course, they start doing things hoping that you'll shut up, and uh, Peter keeps talking, um, and that's why the attacks intensify. Peter, I, I didn't mention this before the show, but I'll ask you if you're prepared to let the audience know some bit of inside information about why they started attacking you when they did something to do with you being at your weakest well yes so um there was a there was a, re a reformation conference in america that i was invited to speak at and somebody dug out the fact that you know peter hammond is a, a horrible racist nazi and he's he goes on these extreme right-wing extremist sites and uh, white supremacist and all this sort of thing. And uh, next thing you knew, they were they dug up off our website my articles and Bible studies on how marriage should not be unequally yoked and speaking out against miscreation. And uh, they tried to get me to back down from this, and I had people resigning from my board, and we even had um, a major ministry that we were the representatives for in South Africa cut ties with us because they heard, if you don't support interracial marriage, they wanted nothing to do with me. Well, I couldn't back down on what I see as a biblical principle. And next thing was, um, this did get a lot of people angry because 
well, I've got to be a white supremacist because I'm from Rhodesia, and Rhodesians, by definition, equal white supremacists, so they say. Although Rhodesia treated black people extremely well, and they had the highest standards of education, literacy, um, lowest unemployment, and, uh, in fact, lowest crime level as well. There was so much about Rhodesia. Nobody starved in Rhodesia. But there's a real hostility to Rhodesians. We've, in fact, had some Fed trying to infiltrate us in Rhodesia Association and try and undermine my position within Rhodesia Association too as a direct result of this. But that's another story. Well, um, about a year and a half ago, I'd just come from the sickbed of Erlo Stegen in KwaZulu, and the next day I was going to be at the funeral for for Dorothea Scarborough, one of our key board members, and there was an attempted hostile takeover where a group of people, including two Canadians who had only been at our mission for five days, got a delegation together to try and insist that I resign and, and hand over and basically leave, give up on everything to do with the mission. When I said, well, who's going to take over these different ministries? And they said, well, most of it will have to be euthanized, but that's not your concern. I said, well, I've poured blood, sweat and toil into all of these ministries and uh, it means a lot to me. I'm, I cannot hand over to anyone except those competent, called and committed. And I don't see those around right now. And I cannot rescind the responsibilities God's given me. And a friend asked these people, why did you choose this time, the worst time possible? Peter's just lost his wife. He's just um, uh, lost his best support in many ways. Mrs. Dorothy Scarborough is a London missionary society veteran. had been with the mission 39 years. And, uh, you know, why choose the day before this funeral and when the man's still grieving? Why would you choose this time to try to uh, kick him out of ministry? And uh, the response was, Peter's at his weakest. He doesn't have his support base normally around him, this is the best time to go from. So yes, there's there are those who are going against us because of the stands we make. And I, I don't know how much of this is pride, greed, hatred, animosity, prejudice, but surely all these things are involved in different ways. There's some nasty piece of work out there who spend the, the entire life trying to destroy me. In fact, one man who had to discipline out of the mission for um, different reasons, uh, Made, it, made a statement, I'm going to devote the rest of my life to destroying Peter Hammond. And then he also said, Frontline Fellowship won't last another six months. Mark my words. Well, he, we did mark his words. He said that in December 2001. And, well, it's been more than six months since then. We're still going very strong. So there's some very hostile people out there. And there's people whose toes have stepped on and people who we've offended. And the statements we've made and the different issues we've dealt with. I've got, of course, files of just hate mail, and now we've got digital files as well. But I've got a filing cabinet with a massive uh, folder just on death threats and threats against me and hostile things, uh, including from the government of Sudan, saying that I'm an enemy of the state and I should expect to be shot on sight. I should expect to be bombed every time I come to Sudan. Uh, the Ministry of, of Justice Department of Religious Affairs, Mozambique, sent me a letter on letterhead signed by the minister. You come back to Mozambique, we will kill you. You know, of course, my book in the killing fields of Mozambique upset some people and faith under fire in Sudan. So they say my writings have made me an enemy of the state. So we've got our enemies. We've got quite a lot of enemies, including I've had pimps threatening me. Uh, in fact, there was this one publication. What was it? Hustler. South Africa, the editor put me on the front cover, you know, Peter Hammond, a blue-eyed uh, gun runner, accusing me of being some Aryan, white supremacist, racist Nazi who smuggles guns to Renamo and Unita Freedom Fighters and uh, SPLA and then go in Sudan. So, you know, funny, white supremacist, racist who spends his life helping black people in Africa. I think there's something wrong or doesn't quite gel in that combination, but these are the kind of things they've said. There was one editor who said he's going to put 100,000 rand, and that was many years ago when that was more like $100,000 because our exchange rates changed, uh, into digging out every skeleton in Peter Hammond's closet and making it known to the world because I'd published the book Finding Freedom from the Pornography Plague and I'd led a campaign that had 8,000 stores stop stocking pornography. And having heard these different magazines, they determined they wanted payback. And then there's the perverts who were angry at my stand against homosexual marriages and the Pink Agenda, the publishing the book Pink Agenda, which later became 
the rise of the KGB and the Pink Inquisition. And for these books and others, I've got even more death threats. We've had uh, people um, wanting to kill me for everything from jihadists to communists to pimps and perverts. Um, and of course, the people who want the miscredulation and to destroy um, white civilization want to see the death of um, as, and the replacement of uh, white Christians who want to get rid of all whites because they see us as the real problem. So there's those who hate me. And we've got others in ministry who may not like my work ethic and the fact that they've gotten severe rebukes for me. I suppose as a missionary, I'm somebody who's still old school. I still have the old standards of what work ethic is and loyalty and so on. So I do believe in correcting and rebuking people where needed. And in this society, that's often not very welcome at all. So back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And folks, you know when you get told something and you just really want to tell people and you really want to get it out, the information, because it's so egregious, so evil, so nasty. I've known about this when it happened. And I asked Peter at the time if he wanted to uh, let the people know on the show and he decided not to. And that was the admission that they deliberately went after Peter when he was at his weakest, when he was experiencing grief, the loss of Dorothea, the loss of his wife. Um, it, it made me so angry. that that. But you're dealing with pure evil here. right? This is what these people do. Their only interest is getting their own way. They have absolutely no moral compunction. You know, you look at sort of enemies in war. If someone's wounded and what have you, they'll, well, actually, look, let's be, you know, they'll even, an, an enemy soldiers will take this person to be treated in their hospital. You know, but these people, this enemy, they want to be as evil and as nasty. They've got absolutely no regard for your current circumstances. In fact, as they've said here, uh, oh, it will go when they're at the weakest. So the other thing, what I want to mention, Peter talked about these um, targeted gifts and go pages. Now, we've been using one in the post for our show for the last few weeks, which is givesengo.com forward slash literature for Africa. That's literature, the number for Africa. Givesengo.com forward slash literature for Africa. Now, it's it's active. I mean, it brings up a page. Peter, do you know if this is working or not? Because there's been no donations for quite a while. We hope that it isn't being throttled, but it could just be that, that nobody's used it lately. We do have a few different Gifts and Go platforms, um, including frontline uh, priority projects. But uh, we give on uh, the websites these different options, PayPal, PayFast, and the different Gifts and Go projects. And we give our banking details that people can make donations anywhere in the world directly into our bank account here in Cape Town. So there are different options. Our Gifts and Go does work. We do get responses, but somehow or another recently, several of the pages have been deplatformed or unpublished, which was not authorized. We don't know who's doing this and how, if this is hackers or if this is our own webmaster under pressure. Um, we, we, I mean, he literally said he's got a gun pointed at him um, on Saturday. Uh, to hack into our system, and he's warning me uh, that that he has been forced to do things that he didn't want to. So I don't know if some of this comes about that way, but we're dealing with some pretty nasty uh, individuals who obviously don't seem to have much scruples or compunction or honor. But unfortunately, there's Christians that are allied with them too, who should know better, but who've decided to get involved in attacking the same target because they just don't like me or they just don't like the message I give. And of course, our goal is not to be popular. Our goal is to try to be faithful and true. You'll know the truth and truth will set you free. We believe in the power of truth and we are promoting the truth. And it would seem those who hate us are taking us on every level they possibly can, hoping to get some fellow Christians to do their dirty work for them. The devil is the accused of the brethren and many Christians have decided to do Satan's job for him, spreading slander. As John Calvin said, the greatest injury you can do to anyone is to injure their reputation. And there are people trying to destroy our reputations. Um, they, it's, it's almost like, again, Second World War analogy. You can't beat the German army face up, so you work through terrorism, SAE, or you decide to bomb their family back at home by targeting civilians and cities with thousand bomber raids and so on. Uh, well, 
we're being attacked on so many different levels, but nobody is coming to our face and and facing us up and saying, we think this is wrong and you need to change this or because of this scripture, um, which, you know, one is always, always responsive to somebody wanting to say, this is what the Bible says. Are you being true to it? And we want to be as faithful to scripture and to truth of history that we can be. Um, but these are people who come from behind and stab you in the back. They don't uh, come and talk to you face to face. Thank you, Peter. And the other thing here, this is a perfect time for me to give my interpretation and for Peter to correct me if necessary, because he knows a great deal more about the Bible than I do. Um, Peter mentioned that there are some misguided Christians that are involved in the attacks. Now, this is why we talk about um, the synagogue of Satan. Jesus Christ talked about the children of Satan in the book of John chapter 8. But it was in the book of Revelation that that got broadened to the synagogue of Satan, people that will all get together uh, as one group, but they can come from all sorts of different backgrounds. So what I encourage people to do is if they can, have the, if they have the wherewithal to support uh, Frontline Fellowship financially, then please do so. The Give, Send, Go is there. And also Peter said... He can give you details of bank accounts, etc. His email address is peter at frontline.org.za. That's peter at frontline.org.za. This, again, is in all our show posts. Um, and the other thing is prayer. If you can't help financially, then please pray. So pray for Frontline Fellowship, for Peter to be able to sustain these attacks, to rise up above the attacks, for the ministry to survive. You will see the image for today's show is of the 40-year uh, story of Frontline Fellowship that Peter only released, I believe, last year. And it's a fascinating tale. Um, it's been an amazing mission. How many people, how many guests have you heard on a radio show that have been involved in the formation of a country well peter was involved in the formation of south sudan and that was primarily to protect christians against muslims is that muslim attacks is that am i right there yes indeed. correct um i wrote the books faith of the fine sudan and slavery terrorism islam to expose what is going on in spoken over a thousand radio and tv programs over the years to alert people to the fights in sudan managed to recruit franklin graham into the fight as well and to get Samaritan's Purse to come and open up a, a church in uh, a hospital in uh, South Sudan, which was so needed. There were 5 million people who had no hospital and uh, Samaritan's Purse provided that hospital, the first one, and many have developed out of that. And ultimately we got South Sudan independent and free, helped many films be produced on it, like uh, Sudan and the Holocaust and terrorism and persecution. And uh, we... Uh, spoke up for and campaigned for South Sudan until the country was free. I established the first chaplain's corps and trained the first medics for the medical corps and helped the SPLA, Sudanese People's Liberation Army, uh, campaign successfully uh, till they got the independence. And that included taking them manuals and night sights and a whole lot of equipment they couldn't have gotten otherwise to be more effective in the fight for freedom of South Sudan. We helped in training them in many different practical ways. So the Independence of South Sudan was a great achievement, and we give that story mostly in the book um, Faith Under Fine Sudan, but I've also put in the front line behind me, Lines for Christ book, gives a lot of the story behind the scenes on that and many other wars across the last 40 years. And these books, we've now got a lot of them available as prints on demand because postal service can be so expensive. But anywhere in the world, people can get prints on demand in, in a, a bookshop or a print place very close to them and they can order it whether in Australia or New Zealand or Canada, and it can be delivered to their door. Print on demand. We've got 30 of our books now as e-books and 13 as print on demand. And uh, that also is another way people can support us is by getting hold of these books, um, whether it's by e-book or print on demand. The hard copies we sell from Cape Town, but of course the logistics is um, the cost of postage could be far more than the cost of the book to get it to a place like Scotland, say, but through print on demand or ebooks, these are available um, without any real serious logistical challenge because of the way how the World Wide Web works now. So 
that that was a magnificent opportunity. And we still have people who hate us because of what we did to campaign successfully for the independence of South Sudan. But now we've got another campaign, and that's for the independence of, of the Cape of Good Hope. The Western Cape is the last outpost of Western Christian civilization in the continent of Africa. And we're holding it firm, and we have resisted the ANC communists getting control of the Cape, and now we're working to get independence of the Cape. And I've got a book written, A Case for Secession, which is ready to print. We've got it all typeset, perfect ready, and we just need the funding to get it printed. And the prince has even promised to get it printed at cost. He'll only charge us for paper and ink because he supports the cause. And so we can get a lot printed for a little. And uh, But again, we, we need funds for this. And here we are under attack in so many different ways. We've got the books ready. We've got another excellent book ready, um, which is Reform- Resistance and Reformation in Romania. Uh, my father-in-law's last book, um, unpublished manuscript, which my wife discovered amongst us, uh, a fix on a shelf when she went through after his death. And then my wife's last project before she died was digitizing it because it was all typed up um, and she got it digitized so we can get it um, typeset properly. And uh, now it's ready. We've got it shaped and book, got the pictures. We're ready. And resistance and reformation in Romania. It's the story of resistance against the communist regimes in Romania. And it's a wonderful story of, of hope and resistance because these people not only survived the persecution under Ceausescu, they thrived. And how they did it, it was such a clever way of being principled, but they they managed to survive resisting and refusing to cooperate with the government, and refusing to believe the lie or applaud the lie or repeat the lie, which is a pillar of the state. And uh, these wonderful examples of Christian courage and examples of excellence in Romania, I think very timely today as we've been bullied by the critical race theory and COVID cult, lockdown lunacy, salvation by vaccination, all the different um, campaigns, transgenderism, transhumanism, all that they're trying to do. We need people to have an, a whole backbone of resistance. And so I think that this example from Romania, and I've worked in Romania before the Iron Curtain came down and after the Christmas Revolution too. And so to get this book out, I think is very timely at this time when people need a spirit of resistance. We don't know how to work with resistance, but the Romanians who lived behind the Iron Curtain, they worked it out and they did it successfully. The last country in the Eastern Bloc to fall, the Christmas Revolution 1989 with the execution of Ceausescu. But what a story and what an amazing example of excellence of how you can resist and reform the churches that they don't become um, pillars of the state where they are being manipulated by the globalists. So that's another book we've got ready for print as soon as we get the funds for it. And those are also gives and go projects that we've got. We've got another one, the, the Great Commission Handbook. I've been running Great Commission courses now for uh, 25 years. And we've had people come from all over the world for these missions, training programs, They body, mind and spirit, PT in the morning, hikes at night, excellent lectures, workshops, practicals, outreaches in townships, uh, in Muslim areas, uh, on the streets, film evangelism, a whole lot of things, workshops and uh, uh, work parties, including shooting range, survival, Bible smuggling simulations at night in the forest and so on. So our Great Commission course that comes up, we've put together the handbook, the Great Commission handbook, which at the moment is a manual, but we've now turned it into a book, uh, which will be a print-on-demand and ebook as well. But again, this needs to get printed, and we've got it ready, and uh, it's just... Um, like many other of our projects, they're just sitting, waiting on a shelf until the funding comes through, which we, depending on through the Gives and Go projects to try and get these moving and mobilized so that we can uh, again uh, be able to get these things into print. We've got a, a whole series of new projects like um, Tracks for Terrorists, um, Redemption for Revolutionaries, Messages for Militants, um, Gospel for Guerrillas, trying to respond to terrorism, not by sending in the Marines, by sending in the missionaries, not by bombing them, but by bombarding them with the gospel. And I know that this can work because in the Bible, David is a conqueror. David killed Goliath. That was a great accomplishment. But Jesus is more than a conqueror. He took Saul, the persecuted church, and turned him into Paul, the apostle and missionary of the church. And I've had the joy over the years of winning communist and Muslim terrorists to Christ and train them as co-workers and 
And, you know, it's so much better than being able to defeat the enemy than to win the enemy over that he becomes one of your co-workers to fight against the enemy together. And so I've had the privilege of winning ZANU and ZAPU, SWAPO, MPLA, ANC terrorists over, and getting these people recruited to become evangelists, including ministering to PLO and being in their bases, showing that Jesus formed history and gospel book with them, and seeing Muslims who used to fight for the Arab North become uh, freedom fighters for the South and evangelists. So uh, we, we've got an experience that I think would help as people are looking at the horrific slaughter going on in the Middle East. And you think there's got to be a better, a better way than just compounding a terrible conflict with more cruise missiles, more drone strikes, more bombings and more ammunition. How is that going to help? Uh, what we need to do, the only solution to the Middle East, I believe, is evangelism. We need to fulfill the Great Commission in the Middle East. And for that reason, there's tremendous power in trans uh, evangelizing enemies or transforming terrorists with the gospel. And I've got experience. I know how to do it. And we've designed terror, uh, tracks that appeal to Marxists and to jihadists. And uh, we know how to re reach them and explain to them the inevitability of how they're going to be betrayed by the revolution. The, the Communist Party will betray them. And also to show jihadists a better and more effective way of achieving objectives by not going the way of violence and terrorism, but to convert to Christ and see how our commander-in-chief, he never abandons us. He goes with us. He will not betray us. And our Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate commander-in-chief, the one who we can always trust, the eternal judge. And so I've produced tracks like The World's Greatest Revolutionary, showing that, in fact, Marx and Engels and Lenin and Stalin, they're not real revolutionaries in Mao Tung, They're all hypocrites and failures. The real revolutionary is Jesus Christ. He's the one who revolutionized your life through redemption, through repentance and redemption, regeneration. What we need is a real spiritual revolution, a Jesus revolution. And uh, so we've got these tracks that have won people to Christ on the streets, and I'm making them available freely on our website. People can go onto the Frontline Mission SA.org website, and we've got one of our drop-down banners at the top is Evangelizing Our Enemies. And at first we called it Transforming Terrorists, but then we found the site was being blocked. And, and I don't know if there was some kind of algorithm that just the word terrorist, they blocked it, even though we were talking about evangelizing. So we've changed the name to Evangelizing Our Enemies. And uh, we've got a whole series of tracks that people can download and audios, visuals that people can use to win over people who are militants and revolutionaries and to hopefully win some of these terrorists over to become evangelists. Now, that's just another one of these projects out here which is looking for support. We've God's given us tools that we've learned over the last 40-odd years in the field and through the eight different wars I've been involved in, and we want to use them to be cutting edge in the world today as we're facing an increasingly violent and unstable world. And, of course, we've got to resist the new world order and not get sucked into them um, by being used by them for their ends. And I think so much of the mass media, the fake news media and the fake history is trying to get us whipped up emotionally that we will support their agenda. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And the example of Salter Paul is something I was going to come up with before we get on to the real story of the power of Thanksgiving. Because as I asked, please, um, for prayer for Peter, uh, and the mission frontline fellowship uh, for strength to withstand the attacks and to overcome the attacks but also don't forget imprecatory prayer but the important thing here is your own personal um, anger towards what has been happening to Peter and the mission that many of you have only heard for the first time today I told you how I felt when he was told that they decided to target him at his weakest I felt disgusted I felt very angry but if I then prayed in precatory prayer for how I felt, for who I considered my enemy, that would be wrong. And as Peter gave the example of Saul to Paul, you look at what Saul was doing to Christians. You'd have think he'd been one of the most hated people by God. But instead, he ended up being turned around into someone who served Christians and served God and protected Christians. So... When I talk about imprecatory prayer, it has to be against the enemies of God. Now, there may be people that are attacking Peter right now that I consider a part of the synagogue of Satan that could well be a part of the synagogue of Satan, but they are going to be transformed into helpers of Christians. Uh, 
Peter himself said there's some misguided people in there. We pray that God sets them right onto the right path. So that's why my imprecatory prayer, which I'm going to repeat for you now, is about God's enemies. So my line in it, which is a full prayer, I don't just pray this in isolation. For those of you who used to listen to the Monday show, when I was doing the prayer on the show, you'll know the whole prayer. But I say, uh, please hasten the destruction of your enemies, those your precious son Jesus Christ warned us about, the children of Satan, the synagogue of Satan, and all those who break your laws that you determine are beyond redemption. So every time I'm saying your enemies, who you think are beyond redemption, it's up to God, only he knows. So never pray against your enemies, talking about you individually listening, but God's enemies, that's the only way to do it. And God will decide if these people can be used and turned, and I'd prefer it, quite honestly, if God could turn these people into defenders of his word than have to destroy them because what a waste of them being on this planet in the first place if they're just going to end up being destroyed and not bring or spread God's message while they're here do anything for God while they're here I far prefer the fact that they would be woken up by God and given the opportunity to serve God as he has given so many of us Peter, myself, many of you listening, that opportunity in this life. We wish all people would have that opportunity. Peter, your comments, and then please get into the real story of the power of thanksgiving. Yes, uh, in my book, uh, Frontline Behind Enemy Lines for Christ, I relate quite a few conversations and encounters I had with terrorists where I was able to um, evangelize them, present the gospel to them, including while being interrogated by a man who introduced himself as the devil uh, in uh, 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 Mashava security prison in Maputo when I was a prisoner in Mozambique this man who was to interrogate me introduced himself as I am Satan I said you're not the devil and he said uh, oh I am he said I'm not only a Marxist and a Leninist I'm a Stalinist I was trained in Czechoslovakia and this is how he started the interview and uh, when I said I'm a Christian he responded I hate Christians and really spat it out and with much emphasis and um you can imagine how the conversation from there could go on. But I relate some of these conversations and challenges and encounters I've had with terrorists um, through the years and seeing some of them brought to repentance as well. It's it's an inspiring hope. I hope that some people, as we look at whatever the news headlines distract us with, with the latest war or whatever, that we try and think not just of the problem but of the solution. It is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. And, of course, we call to be part of the solution. And as Christians, we can undermine the new world order through evangelism. We can undermine terrorism through evangelism. I was led years ago in the South African Infantry and in all-night prayer meeting that, um, yes, the communists are coming at us with hatred. Have we ever gone to them with love? They're coming to us with Marxism. Have we ever gone to them with the gospel? They're coming to us with bombs. Have we ever gone to them with the Bible? They're sending terrorists to us. Have we sent missionaries to them? And at that stage, 1980, I don't think South Africa had sent any missionaries to Cuba or to Russia. We've sent many since, but um, at that stage, God called us to start a fellowship, frontline fellowship, to recruit Christians who would be willing to go into war zones and to evangelize enemies and, of course, help the persecuted churches that were caught up in the crossfire. And that's what we've been seeking to do for the last 40 years. And somehow or another, uh, through the whole last 40 years, we've made a lot of enemies, but I'm encouraged by the fact that there's a whole lot of enemies who still regard us as a threat, that they would take so much effort to try and undermine us at this moment. We must be doing something right, as somebody said recently. When you're getting a lot of flack, you must be over the target. And uh, uh, must be something that God's calling us to do. Perhaps it's the campaigning for Cape independence. But whatever it is, there are forces out there which include in the banking world, which include in governments, which include um, in uh, big tech and Facebook and so on, that are trying to censor us and undermine us and sabotage us and even hack into our systems and threaten our people. So plainly, um, our work must be strategic and must be something that the enemy, I would have thought that a Christian mission based in Cape Town can't be that significant, can it? And yet the powers that should not be seem to uh, think that we're worthy of their attention and their attacks. So perhaps there's something to be encouraged about in that. Well, we are in the um, part time of the year where churches often have Thanksgiving or harvest festivals and I think there's tremendous power in Thanksgiving and if you 
uh, just look at what the scripture says. There are people who say, I want to know what God's will is. Many people, when they think about God's will, they're thinking vocation and location. Maybe what work I'm going to do, where I should move to, and who I should marry. But God's will is made very clear in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So plainly it is God's will for us to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. And Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips giving praise to his name. So sometimes praise is a sacrifice. Sometimes when we're in the, in the fight, when we're under attack, or when we are in difficult situations, when we're in grief, Praise may not be what we are wanting to do, but it's a sacrifice of praise, and that's what makes it so valuable. And one person who ex exemplifies this is Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was of Puritan ancestry. She is a descendant of Mayflower settlers. She was born in 1820, but mustard treatment on her eyes that were inflamed led to damage of the optic nerves, and she became blind for life. But despite her blindness, Fanny Crosby became the most prolific hymn writer in history. She composed more than 8,000 hymns and gospel songs. More than 100 million copies were printed in her lifetime of her hymns. She is described as the mother of modern congregational singing. And in fact, Ira Sankey uh, attributed the success of the Deal Moody evangelistic campaigns largely to Crosby's hymns, like Pass Me Not, O Gentle Saviour, Blessed Assurance, To God Be the Glory, Praise Him, Praise Him, Rescue the Perishing, and so many others, to the tunes of which many people came forward and uh, surrendered their lives. I remember when I was converted, they were singing, Just as I am without one plea, and I walked to the front and surrendered my life to Christ while that hymn was being sung. Well, um, Penny Crosby said, It seemed intended by blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank Him for this dispensation. If perfect sight were offered to me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung the hymns to the praise of God if I'd been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things around me. When I get to heaven, the first face that I shall see will be that of my Savior. And according to a biographer, had it, been, had it not been for affliction, she might not have had such a good education or so great an influence, and certainly she would not have had such a fine memory. Even while blind, Fanny Crosby memorized five chapters of the Bible every week from age 10. By age 15, she had memorized the four Gospels and the first five books of the Old Testament, the Book of Proverbs, and most of the Psalms. She learned to play the piano, the harp, the organ, the guitar. She became a good soprano singer and was a vigorous campaigner for the Temperance Society's campaign against alcohol. She support, supported the Female Guardian Society and the Home for the Friendless. And while Penny Crosby is best known for her hymns, she was primarily a rescue mission worker in the inner cities. For decades, she lived in the slum areas of Manhattan like Hell's Kitchen. And she, as soon as she received any payment for her publications or concerts, she donated all of the proceeds to missions to reach the poorest of the poor and the most needy people in society. Psalm 92 says, It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to our God, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Now, when I lead tour groups to the Castle of Good Hope in Cape Town, the oldest building in the Southern Hemisphere, I often lead people into the dungeon, then close the door and switch off the light. And immediately there's gasps and shouts and screams from people who are being exposed to complete darkness for the first time in their life. Now, not even for a minute. I mean, it's only a few seconds. But imagine living your entire life in complete darkness and silence. Well, that's how life was for Helen Keller. Helen Keller, born in 1880 in Alabama, she had a disease that took away her sight and her hearing at just 19 months old. And she became wild and uncontrollable because her family couldn't communicate with her. But her teacher made a breakthrough by spelling the words W-A-T-E-R into her hand while pumping water in her hand. And this breakthrough led her to start to learn how to communicate with her fingers. And at age 24, she graduated from college and she became a tireless advocate for people with disabilities, traveled to 40 countries, and she famously said that deafness is a great affliction and blindness. Well, Helen Keller said, I've often thought it would be a blessing if every human being was struck blind and deaf for a few days in their early adult life. This would make them more appreciative of sight and of the joys of sound. And I think that's true. 
Do you appreciate the incredible blessings of sight and sound? Well, I'm surrounded by wonderful nature and I'm grateful every day to see sites like Table Mountain and to have the legs and health to climb these mountains. And I wonder when last you thank God for your hands, your legs, your eyes, your ears, your sense, your sound, your taste, for music, for sunshine, for nature, for the birds that sing, for wild animals, for the sea life, the whales and the dolphins and the eagles and the lions. Have you thanked God for his mercy and grace and undeserved favor? Have you thanked God for his matchless blessings that he gives through regeneration, repentance, faith and adoption as a child of God? Have you thanked God for his forgiveness and for the privilege of being a servant and a soldier? Do you know, uh, lack of gratitude is a root sin. Sin is the result of lack of gratitude. People would not steal if they were grateful to God for his provision. People would not commit adultery if they were grateful for the spouse God had given them. Civilization is built upon gratitude to God and recognition of our debts to previous generations. My appreciation for my parents grew in leaps and bounds when I became a parent, and for the first time I came to understand something of what my parents had sacrificed for me. Professor Martin Luther declared, there is no love so sacrificial and so unselfish as that of a parent. Well, we all have a great debt of gratitude to reformers like Professor Martin Luther, who championed the great principles of freedom of conscience, freedom of worship, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, calling us back to the Bible as the sole foundation for all truth and education. We have a lot to be grateful to reformer Ulrich Zwingli for. He dispensed with the Latin Mass. He initiated Bible exposition, preaching to every verse, chapter, and book of the Bible, applying the Lord to Christ all areas of life. If you like the idea of having a church service in a language you understand, you can thank Ulrich Zwingli. If you like the idea of having the Bible in your own language, uh, thank William Tyndale, who gave his life, was burned at the stake for the crime of translating the Bible into English, that we could have the Bible available in our own language. Think of the people in India. What a tremendous debt of gratitude they have to missionary William Carey, who ended widow burning. When a woman died, her usefulness, when her husband died, a woman's usefulness was considered ending, and it was considered by the Hindus necessary for the widow to die in the funeral pyre of her husband. Well, William Carey fought successfully against that. And the burning of lepers, which was believed by the Hindus to be good for reincarnation at uh, a death by burning would ensure a better transmitigation to a, a future reincarnation. And the sacrifice of infants, mothers threw their children into the Ganges River to drown or to be eaten by crocodiles. William Carey fought against all these evils. And he pioneered the first schools for girls in Asia, the first Christian college in Asia. He translated the Bible and the New Testament and the Gospels into 35 languages. I mean, how much to be grateful for with just William Carey? And in Africa, we should be very grateful to missionary explorer David Livingston, who opened up Africa for the gospel and exposed the Islamic slave trade and campaigned successfully to end it. And in Nigeria, I've seen other people there are very grateful for Mary Slessor, the missionary who campaigned to end the killing of twins. It was believed in Nigeria by the superstitious witchcraft adherents that twins must be the result of some kind of... Um, evil action that the mother must have been having sex with a demon or something like that. And so both twins were killed, torturously had their backs broken. Well, Mary Slessor adopted and rescued many twins and brought them up. She is called mother of all the people. She campaigned for the end of the slave trade. In fact, in one of her prayer letters back home to Scotland, Mary Slessor said, send Maxim machine guns. I mean, how's that for missionary request? Because they had slave traders in the area. Uh, she fought cannibalism and drunkenness and pl planted many schools and churches in remote areas of Nigeria. We've all got much to be grateful to Member of Parliament William Wilberforce. His lifelong crusade to end the slave trade and to set the captives free made a huge impact on the world. And then all of our lives have been enriched by the devotional writings of Charles Spurgeon. He's the most prolific Christian author in history. There's more books and prints and more words and prints by Charles Spurgeon than any other Christian author in history. And he didn't live that long, he only lived up to 56. And yet, without computers, with old technology, he produced more books that, than in, in more words that would even be an Encyclopedia Britannica. And there's so many of us have been blessed by the devotional writings of Andrew Murray and the sermons of Charles Spurgeon. And then there's inventors and innovators who've made our lives richer and healthier through their life's work. And I've had the privilege of being able to dedicate some of my books to people who've been a blessing to me. 
Well, one of my first books, In the Killing Fields of Mozambique, I dedicate to Francis Grimm, the founder and the president of Hospital Christian Fellowship. He gave me my initial missionary apprenticeship and mentorship, and as a result, I started my missionary work under Hospital Christian Fellowship and dedicated my first book to him. I dedicated my Old Testament survey to Dr. Fritz House, who taught me to see Christ in every book of the Old Testament. Dr. Fritz House was a God-fearing, dedicated Christian missionary, a veteran of the Second World War. He served in the Africa Corps under Erwin Rommel, who sometimes attended his Bible study and prayer fellowships. For over 60 years, he planted churches throughout South Africa. And as a lecturer of Old Testament at Baptist Theological Seminary in Cape Town, Dr. House taught me the doctrines of the Reformation and the Christology of the Old Testament. Hence, I dedicate the Old Testament survey to him. Putting feature of faith, I dedicate to the founder and director of Christ Mountain Mission, Undoubtedly, the most successful mission in Africa, Erlo Stegen, really put feet to his faith, and he continues to be an inspiration example to all Christians. My book, Faith Under Fine Sedan, I dedicated to a blind man, Brent Noble. Brent Noble was a good friend and inspiration. He lost his sight at age 21 through experimental laser surgery, and his vision for the suffering Christians of Sudan mobilized thousands of students that he meant to recruit to fund our work. In fact, he became the single largest sponsor of Bibles for Sudan and film evangelism in Sudan. And by God's grace, most of the tens of thousands of Bibles that I was able to get printed and smuggled into Sudan was funded by students who had been mobilized by Brent Noble to invest in frontline fellowships, Bibles for Africa. And uh, films like the Jesus film, God's Story, uh, video presentations, uh, which tens of thousands of people were able to see. It came through the vision of a man who didn't even have sight. His favorite song was Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. I once was blind, but now I see. And uh, Brent Noble was therefore a good uh, person to dedicate the Faith and Defiance Land book to. Well, I think also the new evangelist in Sudan who I met, he had no feet. Both his feet were axed off at the ankles by malicious Muslims because he is an evangelist, but he continued to walk on his knees or ride on a donkey to evangelize his neighbors. And some of you might have seen a picture in my book of this evangelist sitting on a donkey with both feet missing. The Bible says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Well, this brother has no feet, but he has not allowed that inconvenience not having feet to prevent him from preaching and reaching and benefiting his neighbors, even his enemies, with the gospel of Christ. What excuse do we have not to evangelize if somebody without feet can do it? So many people, uh, their problems consist of, what shall I prepare for supper? Where many of the people I've ministered to have no such problems because they've got no food. For some people, the dilemma is, what shall I wear? Well, many thousands of people I've ministered amongst only had one tattered garment to wear, sometimes just a piece of sacking. And uh, so that's not a problem for them. Many people I know are wondering about what Bible translation should I use? Well, for most of the people in the world, there is only one translation available, and millions don't even have access to that. In Africa, there's more than 100 million churchgoers who do not yet have a Bible or even a New Testament. And so I think the sufferings that are persecuted can bring our problems into perspective. On many occasions, I've seen Christians in Africa declare, this is the greatest gift anyone could ever ask for, the Bible in my own language. And I've seen Christians in Angola, Mozambique, and Sudan fall on their knees and weep to receive a copy of the Word of God. I've seen people dance and raise the copy of the Bible I've just given them high above their heads, singing and shouting their thanksgiving and praises to God in their language. And this is the greatest gift anyone could ever ask for, the word of God in my own language. Now, too many people in our society are consumed by the obnoxious habit of demanding, give me, give me, give me. And many people are greedy, demanding, ungrateful, entitled, self-centered, miserable, and writing, looting, and burning. In Leo Tolstoy's classic book, War and Peace, some of you may have noticed the character of Platon Karatev. Platon Karatev is a joyful Russian peasant who's always giving thanks to God, praying and sharing what little he has, even with a stray dog that he's adopted and with the fellow prisoners around him. And Leo Tolstoy stated he actually based this character on a poor, joyful peasant that he had met. And it occurred to him that this man, who had so little, was far happier, more joyful, more at peace than all the rich men that he knew. It is definitely more blessed to give than to receive. And I thank God for my many times under fire and under aerial and artillery bombardments and in prison and under intense interrogation 
in communist prisons. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not grateful for freedom, for health, for clean water, for clean sheets, for soap, for the freedom to move and to see God's magnificent creation, to climb Table Mountain and so many other blessings, which I was deprived of and which I prayed for when I was in chains and in prison cells. What does God have to do to get your attention? And there is so much that we need to learn about gratitude. There's no duty more urgent than that of giving thanks. It should be as habitual for us to thank as to ask. A thankful heart is a parent of all virtues, but a lack of gratitude is a root sin. In Romans 1 we read, The wrath of God, the anger of God, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and the foolish hearts were darkened. So Romans 1 shows lack of giving thanks to God as a root sin that leads to futile thinking and foolish, darkened hearts. In fact, you can tell it all over the world. You can see grateful people are generous people. Grateful people are humble people. Grateful people are happy people. Whereas ungrateful people are miserable people and they're not nice to be around either, mind you. And in Luke 17, we see the sin of ingratitude. Ten lepers were healed by the Lord Jesus. And only one of them, a Samaritan, threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. The Lord Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where then are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And in our missions experience, we found barely 10% of those we help or sponsor will bother to express their gratitude, either verbally or in a letter or card. Gratitude is a rarity, but it's also one of the, uh, ingratitude is one of the worst sins. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 5, the Apostle Paul gives a list of some of the most terrible sins, includes ungratefulness in the middle. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, traitorous, rash, conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its real power. Here, ungratefulness is listed in the middle of a litany of terrible sins. Well, one of the first lessons a good parent seeks to teach his children is to say thank you. It takes courage and character to admit being in debt to others. It is humbling. However, those who cannot admit their indebtedness to others cannot learn, nor can they seek forgiveness. And so it's not just a matter of maturity. It's It's more than rudeness. It's ungodly to refuse to give thanks. We are commanded to honor our parents, to honor our elders, to honor our leaders. It's a sign of maturity to acknowledge indebtedness. If we've learned anything in life, we're indebted to somebody. First and foremost, mostly to God, who's given us life and health and food and talents and family and friends and opportunities and our salvation itself. But we also indebt to generations who've sacrificed for the freedoms we enjoy, the reformers, the martyrs, the pioneers, the missionaries, the soldiers, the parents, the teachers, pastors, so many others have sacrificed for our benefit. And those who do not take advice do not think they've got anything to learn. These are the same people who have a problem expressing a genuine, heartfelt gratitude to others. It's a sign of pride to be ungrateful. It's, it reveals an unwillingness to acknowledge a debt to others. And so we need to be uh, encouraging an attitude of gratitude, not an attitude of entitlement. Our present culture gives the very opposite of gratitude. It's entitlement, which is built on pride and covetousness. I'm a good person. I deserve this. It's my right. Give me. And it's fueled by bitterness, greed, and envy. And those are the people who are burning things down and looting and going berserk and wanting to cancel civilization. All too many in our present humanistic society take things for granted. They demand to get. They don't seek to give. They want to pull down statues and monuments. They want to destroy things. They don't build. It takes Years and generations to build things, but it takes only one right to pull things down. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. And Martin Luther said, the greater God's gifts, the less they are appreciated. We exhibit our degree of thankfulness in reverse proportion to the amount of blessings we receive. So the blessings of life and health, freedom and food, are not really appreciated unless they're lost or threatened. And because sunrises and sunsets occur daily, they're taken for granted. If the constellations of stars appeared only once in a thousand years, imagine how much excitement they would be anticipating it. But because they're there every night, we barely give them a look. And the blessings of rain are not really appreciated unless you've been through a drought. 
And a hungry person is more thankful for one crumb than a rich person for a heavily laden table. A lonely woman in a nursing home will appreciate one visit more than a popular person who's at a party thrown in honor. A Christian who's been under persecution for decades, who receives his first copy of the Bible, will be more grateful for the one book than we have for libraries of books and shelves of Bibles. There are at least 138 passages of the scripture dealing with the subject of thanksgiving. We are commanded, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since you're members of one body and you call to peace and be thankful. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Give thanks to the Lord. Call in his name. Make known amongst the nations what he has done. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. You know the song, count your blessings, name them one by one? Well, I've got a better version than, than that. Count your blessings, name them two by two. Count your blessings, name them four by four. Count your blessings, name them by the score, and it will surprise you, but there are millions more. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Well, that uh, brings us to the end of our show. But before we go, just uh, once again, could you please uh, let the audience know um, where they can find your work and how they can contact you? Yes, my personal email is peter at frontline.org.za. Peter at frontline.org.za. And our website, www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Frontlinemissionsa.org. And they'll be able to find me also on Facebook. I know we're a bit restricted. You might have to look for it. But um, Frontline Fellowship, Peter Hammond, Literature Factory, we're all on, on Facebook page and Sermon Audio. Uh, do look for us. I think the more that there's visits, uh, the better it will be for the algorithms that are trying to restrict or shadow ban or stifle us right now. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Such an important show today, folks. Please take heed of what was said and please come to those in need and i also want to something i didn't say earlier of course peter's webmaster this guy who's potentially been abducted held at gunpoint please keep his safety in your prayers also so that being said i want to thank all of you for joining us today on a program entitled frontline fellowship under attack and the real story of the power of thanksgiving peter and i'll be back with you next Tuesday. I'll be back with you on Sunday, Saturday, sorry. And until then, folks, have a wonderful week and bye for now.